We have brothers and sisters in Christ here who believe the same thing as each other, and that is so valuable. We have brothers and sisters in Christ to your right, to your left, to uh, behind you, in front of you, who have done the same thing as you, who have taken their hostilities and have put them at the foot of the cross. Jesus died to make us into a church. A church that is built on the cornerstone of Him crucified. A cornerstone that will not be shaken. That will not be moved. Where hostility is put to death. The sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintiger.com. Well, as we're going forward with our sermon series, Built Together, we have a beautiful and timely text in front of us for this morning. It comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. I'll encourage you to make use of your sermon cards this morning and go ahead and take notes on the things that, that you're hearing, maybe questions that pop into your head as we go along. And I'll also encourage you, go ahead and take out your phones or, or any other Bible app device that you have with you and go ahead and have that text in front of you this morning. We'll read from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 22. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision which is done by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its command and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death our hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is God's word. It's a little bit bizarre what the Apostle Paul asks the Ephesians to do in this text. He calls on them twice to emphasize that how important it is. He calls on them twice to remember something. To call something into their minds, to hold it there vividly. 
And he's not asking them to remember something that people like to remember. Normally, when you ask to share a memory with someone, it's, it's a good memory. You know, you might be expecting Paul to ask the Ephesians to remember something fatherly about him. Remember this, Ephesians, or remember the teachings that we shared together while I was with you. Or you might expect Paul to, to share something evangelical with the Ephesians. Remember this. Remember this, church, that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. But not here. Here, Paul asks the Ephesians to remember something again that they would much rather have blocked out. He asks them to remember what it was like to be called names. To have division in the church. To remember what it was like to be outside of Christ. To be outside of his word. To to have no hope for this life or the next. Paul asks the Ephesians to remember that. And that is unique. There are Bible commentators that will point out that this is one of the only times, if not the only time in the Bible, that Christians, saved, sanctified Christians, are asked to remember what that was like. And Paul even helps them to remember. He nudges them in the right direction. There was a name that was being called to people. A name that was aimed to make people feel low. We know some names like that right now. And Paul speaks that name out loud. He says it out loud and helps the Ephesians remember. You know, at that time, the Ephesian people, they they lived around each other. They were cordial to each other as they saw each other in the markets, at the public games, and as they saw each other in the streets. But behind closed doors, there was that that name-calling, that differentiation between two types of people. And the Ephesian Gentiles, they knew about it. They knew that they were being differentiated and looked down upon because of a certain feature of their body. They knew the name that was being called to them behind closed doors, that they were being called uncircumcised. I'm guessing that every one of you can remember a time in your life where you were called a name that hurt. I traveled abroad for about six months in South America, and and it would happen probably once or twice a week where I'd be walking down the street And somebody would yell, gringo, at me. And it would remind me that, okay, I don't belong here. This isn't my native home, my native country. And that name hurt. But there are other names that hurt worse. When I was in fourth grade, I moved to a new school. And every single person in that class besides me had known each other since they were babies. And so for the first entire year that I was at that school, I was just called New Kid. Now, nobody bothered to learn my name, or at least nobody bothered to use it. I was left out of things at recess. I was left out of class events, birthday parties, things like that. That name hurt worse. 
But it still wasn't like the name that was given to the Gentile Christians, that name uncircumcised, that name that implied something about them. Like they were being told, God loves me more than you. Because of a feature of my body, because of something that I do, God loves me more, God cares about me more, he values me and my family more. Names like that hurt worse. Maybe you know what that feels like. Paul speaks that name out loud. He asks the Ephesians to remember what that was like. Why is it that we call each other names like this? Why is it that it's almost compulsory to our human natures to treat each other this way? To put each other down in this way? It's because this is the best that we can do, really. If we don't know Jesus, if we don't know what he's done for us, if we don't know that he has justified us before God permanently, then, then yeah, this is the best that we can do. It's the best that we can do to justify ourselves and make ourselves look good. And the best way to justify ourselves and make ourselves look good is to make a separation between us and others. To find a way that we can stand over others. And so this is what we do. We differentiate, we separate, we divide. And we live in a part of the country that that claims to, to work really hard at making sure this doesn't happen. To make, th- thing, make sure that things are, are just and equitable and fair. And we do make a huge attempt at that. But, but you see the underbelly of the beast? And you see that really we're no better than anyone else at doing this. In fact, I think we might be a little bit worse about this. I'll give you an example. Uh, over the last year, I had the chance to be part of a leadership class here in Tigard. It's called Leadership Tigard. Uh, highly recommend that class. The first lesson of the class, the first day of it, was an entire day exercise called Simulated Society. And we were given the rules of the society, and we were given our roles in the society in advance, and it was set up to us like this. You have your certain role, and your job in your society is to perform your role well, along with everybody else, so that the society together will succeed. But the game was also a little bit rigged, because there were some people in the society whose roles were not sufficient to support them and make sure that they could thrive. And so the point of the exercise was was so that the people inside of that simulated society could recognize that others were not thriving and give something of themselves to help the others thrive. And you think that people in Tigard, Oregon, leaders in Tigard, Oregon, would be able to identify that and rectify that. Because that's what we're about. But the simulated society exercise showed the opposite, that that when we are confronted with that, we we find a way to ignore it. 
and we make sure that we are okay before making sure that others are, are okay. And the only reason that we will make sure that others are okay is to make sure that we are better. And once that was revealed to us at the end of the exercise, there were so many people in this class who were utterly convicted having found that out. Having found out that we differentiate ourselves on this physical circumstance. But that's what we do, right? That's what we do. We differentiate ourselves according to physical circumstances, mental circumstances, emotional and spiritual circumstances. There's a writer, his name was C.S. Lewis. He was an atheist turned Christian writer in the 1940s and 50s. And he observed this also about, um, about his culture that he was living in. He made this point. He said, nobody finds satisfaction in being smart. They only find satisfaction in being smarter than someone else. And that's true, right? No one is really spiritually comforted by being smart or beautiful or moral or successful in a vacuum. But people are spiritually comforted. They find meaning, we find meaning in being more intelligent, more beautiful, more successful, more moral than the ones around us. That brings us meaning and purpose in life, and so that's what we do. We differentiate, we separate, we divide, we make differences between ourselves physically, emotionally, spiritually. We put up those dividing walls, and we can see the results of that today, right? When those walls go up, they do not come down easily. Paul asks the Ephesian Christians to remember this. Remember what that was like to live without God. Where the only way to justify ourselves is by differentiating ourselves and creating hostility between each other. Things must have been going really well in the Ephesian congregation that Paul is asking them to remember what that was like. It seems like things were different now. When before the people had worshipped and lived separately and once they had called each other names, but now things were different, completely different. Now they worshipped together. They came to the same building together. They called on God's name together. They were baptized together. They believed in God together. Everything had changed. And how could it not? Because Jesus had died on the cross and he had actively created something new for them. He had actively created a community for them, a community of peace and unity. Don't miss that fact. Just look at the verbs here. This would be a good time if you had your phone out for Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. You can count up there that there are 14 different verbs in this text. And out of those 14 verbs, nine of them are active verbs. 
And the subject of all of those active verbs is either Jesus or God. Jesus or God is the active agent in all of these things. And then there are five passive verbs that describe how we can get in on what God has actively done. Here's the point of this. I'm going to let Paul speak for himself. God, active verb here. God made the two groups into one. And God destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And God created in himself a new humanity out of our two. And God reconciled both of them to God through the cross. Things aren't like they used to be. Because God has brought a new thing into existence called the church. His new humanity. And he has done this through one simple divine tool. Do you know what that was? Again, I'll let Paul speak for himself. It's in verse 15 and 16 here. Paul tells us his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. It's the cross that did that, that made the church, that made this new humanity. Are you ready for what this means? I'm going to get a little bit explosive here along with Paul, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Paul gets explosive here about what Jesus did, that he died to tear down the wall of hostility. And he died to put to death the deadness in our thinking. Isn't that what Paul says? God put to death our hostility. He had to. Because it is not okay to call names and to differentiate. It is not okay to differentiate someone from yourself according to a bodily feature. Racism, sexism, moralism, anything that divides us is not okay. If it was okay, do you think God would have put his own son on the cross? God died to put our hostility to death. To create a peaceful community for us and to take down every wall that would divide us. Christianity is a strange thing. Have you ever noticed that? Christianity is is a paradox in this way that life only comes through death and through death only comes life. I mean, you see that, right, in the way that Jesus died on the cross. When he died, he put to death all of our sins so that we could have life. And that when Jesus died, he put death to death. And when he died, he gave us true life. It's death to life. I'm pointing this out to you so that you can start to see the value of the church. 
Just like Paul was calling on the Ephesians to see the value of the church that God had made for them. He calls on them to remember what it was like outside of God's church, outside of God's word, outside of God's people. So that they can start to appreciate what it's like to have a peaceful and unified community of people in Jesus Christ. I'm preaching hard to you this morning because I want you to remember this too. You can remember what that was like. Many of you in here can remember what it was like to have hostility in a church. Division in a church. Remember that today so that we can together begin to appreciate the value of Christ's church that Jesus died to put that hostility to death. That Jesus died to forgive that hostility. That Jesus died to make us unified, to make us a peaceful community together. At the beginning of this service, I asked you to consider a question that I'm going to come back to now. Why do we talk so much about being a family at church? Now, why do we call each other's brothers and sisters in Christ? It's because that's who Jesus made us to be. He's taken away our differentiations. He's taken away our divisions, our separations. He's made us into a unified people. A cornerstone that will not be shaken that will not be moved, where hostility is put to death. And no one is left out of this. Paul wrote that way to make sure everyone in Ephesus knew that, to make sure that everyone in Portland knew that, that everyone who is in Christ is here. The good news is preached to all who are near and all who are far off. It was a year ago now that, uh, that I was installed to be pastor here at this church. At that time, I made a promise to you to preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what else do we need? What else do we need to have a foundation for our earthly lives and for our eternal lives? And what else do we need as a foundation on which to build a church here in Tigard? We don't need anything else. We are built together in Christ. Each one of us, Christ is using and building us together for the good of his kingdom. You know I'm not talking about a church building. You know I'm talking about a community here. A community where each one is loved, where no one is far off, where we are at peace with one another. Where we look forward to the day where Christ will return and bring us to be together together.